Hallelujah. Amen. As you make your way back to your seats, I won't keep you long, but I have a mandate from the Lord today to preach what God gave me in prayer last night for somebody, for somebody here today. The book of John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, will be our text today. Thank you all for being in the house of the Lord on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. There's ever been a time that we needed to be thankful and express it towards the Lord. It's in the day in which we live. Amen. John 14 and 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. I want to take for a subject title today the words of Thomas in questioning the Lord. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? One more time, let's ask the help of the Lord today. Father, we need your touch upon these lips of clay. Lord, upon these ears to hear. Lord, every one of the sound of my voice today will be responsible for the word that they receive and that goes into their spirit. I pray, God, that it would fall upon good soil, that they would hear and receive and respond today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord today? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. How can we know the way? I began to study yesterday about the history of maps. I was intrigued as to when they came about. And uh, there are some that believe thousands of years ago, some hundreds of years ago, but no man can particularly pinpoint when the first map was ever made. But we do know that somewhere throughout the course of history, people who explored unchartered territories wanted to leave behind some type of chart, some type of path or illustration because there would be people that followed them that would need some direction. There would be people that would come behind that would appreciate a map, a chart. And maps have evolved throughout the years. I remember when I was a kid, it was the big Rand McNally map. You, some of you older ones know what I'm talking about. The kids have no clue what a Rand McNally atlas is, you flip to whatever state you're going to and you learn to you had to learn to read a map. If you 
if you were honest, if you were the one that thought you knew where you were going, then you probably got lost at times because we always don't know where we're going. Maps have evolved now to such a digital form to where you can just pull up your phone and, and you can follow along where you need to be. But the whole purpose of a map was that there was going to be people that needed some type of direction so for somewhere that they've never been before. And this makes sense to us when we consider the words of Thomas. In fact, when Jesus spoke to him, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Why would he say that? Because when you don't know how to get where you want to go, it starts putting fear in your heart. And Jesus said, don't worry about fear. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. That's Old Testament. They believed in God. He said, believe also in me because he was the manifestation of the God of the Old Testament. That same faith you placed in the God of the Old Testament, he's saying, I want you to place that God, that faith in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He was trying to tell Thomas, Hey man, I've already been there. I know how to get there. And I'm going to tell you how to get there. You just have to have faith. Yet Thomas couldn't understand. And so he asked the question, How can we know the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I submit to you today, there are people across this world that are still asking the same question. How can we know the way? What must we do to be saved? And if the question is still the same, the answer is still the same. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. If you believe it, clap your hands unto the Lord. To understand what Jesus was trying to convey, you've got to back up many, many generations when he gave the layout of the tabernacle. That's a whole other study. But in essence, the tabernacle was enclosed on four sides all the way around. And there was one gate, one point of access, one way in, and one way out. And when you went through that gate, the first place that you're going to come is the brazen altar. It was where you brought your sacrifice. It was where what is symbolic of repentance. It's where you put your sins on the altar. Once a year, they came and they offered that sin of a, that, that off that sacrifice for atonement. And that priest would slay that sacrifice on that altar. And there was a whole lot of blood shed on that altar. That's why Paul said, we've got to die daily. We've got to have that place of repentance in our life. We've got to have that piece of furniture in our life. And then that priest, when he 
he left that brazen altar, he turned and there was a brazen laver that with water and it was mandatory that that priest had to wash in that brazen laver. It was in that place of, of, of washing that that blood was, he was purified and he could see himself in the water. My friend, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to mess with your theology just for a moment. The priest could not go any further in the presence of the Lord until he washed for the for the sinner, sins are not remitted at just repentance. That's the altar. There has to be baptism in that person's life, which is the washing of the water. That's why Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You got to go to the altar, and you got to go to the labor. That's the water. Then you come to those five posts, symbolic of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And then there's that veil, and it was three different colors. It was blue, and it was red, and it was purple. Or crimson red was red. And you go into that place and that veil was so thick that it was total darkness in there except the candlesticks, which is symbolic of the fire of the Holy Ghost, that oil that should never go out in our life. It was continually burning. That was the table of showbread, which means the word of God, the bread of life. We've got to have that word in our life. And then there was the altar of incense, where the prayers went up continually before the Lord as a sweet smell and savor. Everything was methodical. And then once a year, one priest got to go into the holiest of holies where that mercy seat was and he put that blood on that mercy seat. Many people believe that there was not a single, and not many people believe that this part is true, there was not a single rip in that veil. It was one solid curtain and many people believe that it was the Spirit of God that moved that priest from one side of the veil and to the other side of the veil because there was no way for him to open it. It was methodical. It was methodical. It was methodical. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the tabernacle of David was going to be restored unto humanity. Now, when it's, we talk about the tabernacle of Moses, but the tabernacle of David, when David was bringing the ark of the Lord back from the house of Obed-Edom, he made himself, God did not give him the blueprint. He said, I'm living in this house, this beautiful home, what we would consider a mansion. And he said, the, the house of the Lord or the ark of God doesn't have a house. So he made a house from the Lord, uh, the house for the Lord, but it only had three sides. Look at it. It only had three sides. There was no side. Now you got to watch this because I'm walking somewhere in the tabernacle of David. It was four sides with one gate. And the gate is symbolic of Jesus. It was a type and shadow of what was to come. And that's why Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But in that holiest of holies, it was totally closed in on four sides. But Jesus said, oh God said, I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David to my people. And when Jesus Christ died, what happened? The veil was rent, and it was three sides. Because he said, now everybody can have access to my Shekinah glory. Everybody 
can have access to the power of God. How can we know the way to salvation? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody shout his name for me. That's why Jesus said in John 10 and 7, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. There's only one way in, and that is to go through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I rise to this pulpit today to preach to those under the sound of my voice. There is no other God before us. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. He is the root and the offspring of David. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the author and the finisher of my faith. He is all in all. That's why Paul said, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you believe it, clap your hands unto the Lord. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the way. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself by so many different attributes. He was Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shalom, and on and on and on and on. He, people only knew him by the attribute whereby they needed him. But Jesus came, and the God of the Old Testament is the embodiment of the New Testament. And he said in John 10 and 30, I and my Father are one. He was praying unto the Lord, and this is what he said, I have manifested thy name unto them. So if he's talking to the Father, that would mean that the name of the Father is Jesus. So if he is the way to the Father, and he is one with the Father, he has to be the way to the Son. If Jesus or the Son and the Father are the same. This is why Paul said, uh, or rather in Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's why it is imperative when you go down in that watery grave of baptism that that man or woman who is baptizing you says, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Because if it is not, if that name is not applied to you in baptism, then nothing happened in the spirit world. There's nothing spiritual about going underwater. You do it all the time. You go swimming. You take a bath. You get on, there's nothing spiritual about getting going totally underwater. But the spiritual part is faith in the name of Jesus. What is baptism symbolic of? 
You go back to the Old Testament when God was, was, was pulling Israel out of Egyptian bondage and he gets to that Red Sea and the waters part and Egypt represents the world and Israel represents the, the believer, the church and they're walking through the Red Sea and they get to the other side and the waters swallow up their past. It swallows up Egypt. It swallows up the world. That's why it is a type and shadow of baptism. Baptism saves us. It's the answering of a good conscience before the Lord. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to the Son. And Jesus is the way to the Holy Ghost. That's why John 14, 26 but the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name. So we've already seen that the name of the Father is Jesus and the name of the Son is Jesus. And he said that Holy Ghost when it comes is coming in the power of the name Jesus. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Here's how it works. The disciples spent time with Jesus. They walked with Jesus and he was teaching and he was imparting. He was manifesting in their life. He was telling them what they needed to know. But none of it made sense. Because knowledge is not the same as revelation. And he said, when the Holy Ghost gets in you, everything that I told you, it's going to bring it to your remembrance. And that's why you have people that read this book in and out, cover to cover, and it don't make sense. But when the Holy Ghost, Brother Spanky, gets inside of them, all of a sudden, everything that God was putting in them, the Holy Ghost moves it from the knowledge category to the revelation category. That's why in the book of Acts, you'll find this. And they remembered his words. That's not talking about knowledge. That's talking about revelation. That's talking about after the Holy Ghost came on them. All of a sudden, everything that God was trying to put inside of them started making sense to them. And they're like, oh, that's what he was saying. Oh, that's what that means. Hey, my friend, if you want to live for God, let me tell you how to do it. you got to have the Holy Ghost in you because the Holy, World, Holy Ghost makes this alive in you and it will lead you and guide you. And finally, and I'm wrapping up, Jesus is the way to the Word. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. You go down to verse 14. It says, and the word, what word? The word that was before time. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you realize how it all worked? That the same word that put life into man, the same word that flung the stars into the sky, the same word that pointed to the seas and said, you cannot cross your borders. 
The same word that put plant life into place in the laws of nature. That same word before anything existed said, there will come a day when I move from the invisible to the visible. And then once I'm manifest in the visible, then I'm going to go back to the invisible and I'm going to put it in the hearts of men. Do you realize that the word is greater than the name? I'll give you scripture. Psalm 138 and 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Do you realize that the purpose of the sonship will have an ending date? The whole purpose of the sonship of Christ was the blood of Jesus that would redeem for all of humanity. But once all of men have been judged, there is no, no more purpose for the sonship of Christ. And so the sonship of Christ is not eternal. But what is eternal is thy word has been forever settled in heaven. My friend, if you want to know the word, you got to get to the word through Jesus because Jesus brings revelation. Jesus brings salvation. Jesus brings hope for all of humanity. I said all of that to say this. That was my introduction. If it makes you feel any better, I got a short sermon. How if Jesus, Brother Glenn, is that gate in the in the in the tabernacle, how do we approach the gate. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You cannot get any further if you don't do it the right way. And I'm afraid in the day in which we live, we're so enamored and encumbered with what God has not done for us. The prayers that God hasn't answered. The things that we think God forgot about. And we get so weighted down with all of that that we don't come to Him the right way. But there's only one way to go to that gate. And it is with thanksgiving. Because when those Israelites were bringing their sacrifice, the reason that they went with thanksgiving is because the only way that they could have their sins rolled back for a year was to go to that gate joyful. Because this has given me an opportunity that I didn't have any other way. My friend, do you realize we are Gentiles? We were not supposed to be saved. We were supposed to be lost. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you an answer. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you a way to salvation. Stand with me right now. Sister Joyce, if you come. If we ought to be thankful for anything, we ought to be thankful for Jesus. For Jesus. Because if it were not for Jesus, you and I would spend eternity in a devil's hell. You know what hell is? Hell is outer darkness. As black as you could imagine. It is heat so intense but you'll never get relief from it. All of eternity, you'll spend in outer darkness burning, burning. That's where we were supposed to go because we're Gentiles. But he said, I'm going to extend an olive leaf like Brother Britt talked about last week. 
And for a season, the Gentiles, I'm going to give them hope. His own people didn't receive him. The Jews did not acknowledge him as their Savior, and they crucified him. And he said, I'm going to turn and I'm going to open up a window until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. My friend, that time of the Gentiles is quickly wrapping up. Quickly. Jesus said, in the last days, it's going to be like the days of Noah. They were eating, they were drinking, they were given in marriage. It's going to be like in the times of Lot, when everything, everybody thought, oh, everything's good. What's going on? What's going on? And he said, there's going to be two in the field. One is going to be taken. One's going to be left. There's going to be two in the bed. One's going to be taken. One's going to be left. That was not saying that 50% of humanity is going to be saved. It was an illustration that it's going to happen like that. How can we know the way? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Peter stood up on that day of Pentecost, he did not preach his own theory of salvation. Rather, he preached under the divine inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he said, here's the way. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Go to that brazen altar and put yourself as a sacrifice on that altar. You get buried with him in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And he says, you shall. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall experience that life-changing power on the inside. I have seen more people pray through to the power of the Holy Ghost by simply saying, I love you, Jesus. That's it. You don't get it begging. You don't get it asking forgiveness all the time. It's a gift that God wants to give everybody. I love you, Jesus. And I've seen them. As you start doing that, that old mouth starts to move it. God begins to fill them with a spirit. They begin to speak in another language. Heads bowed and eyes closed as we all stand in this place today. Out of reverence and respect to the Holy